God's law, the tenth commandment of God's law we deal with this morning. Lord's Day 44. Lord's Day 44 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And there we confess concerning the tenth commandment, you shall not covet the following. What does the tenth commandment require of us? that not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live, not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. And second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 44. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that also includes you, boys and girls. I'd love to uh, make a trip to Australia. I'd like to see some of my relatives there who I haven't seen for a long time. I'd love to uh, learn how to paint with watercolors. It'd be nice if you could make some beautiful paintings I wish some of my uh, troubles would go away. Just some things which don't really have anything to do with each other except that their desires, their wishes, desires of the heart. And everybody has desires, right? Everybody has certain things which they, in their hearts, would long to see or have or take part in at one time or another. Desires that maybe even drive you along. Because God created us with desires. Desires direct your thoughts to the future and they, they give you uh, energy to do things. Desires make your heart beat faster in anticipation. Your heart the desires of your heart. And I mention that because that's uh, what this last commandment of God's law is about. You shall not covet. God seeks your heart. He wants to be the desire of our hearts. He himself. And that's what the sermon this morning is about then. And I preach to you the word of God as we confess it in Lord's Day 44 about the 10th commandment of God's law with this theme, God wants our hearts. 
which are full of desires. First of all, wrong desires. Secondly, conflicting desires. And thirdly, also good desires. Wrong desires, first of all. I mentioned then that the Tenth Commandment is about the heart. And if you think about it, it's actually a wonderful thing that God is interested in our hearts. He doesn't just look at the outside, what we do. He wants to see hearts that are open to him, that are devoted to him, that hearts that seek him with everything that's in them. That's what love is. Because love, real love, doesn't just seek the other person partially, half, but half. No, it, love seeks the other person fully. A young fellow who loves his girlfriend admires her looks. That's what drew him to her maybe in the first place, her looks, how she acted outwardly. But he also wants to get to know her inwardly, wants to know how she thinks, what she feels, and then he loves her inside out. That's what real love is. Well, the Tenth Commandment is a commandment about love. God wants our hearts. He wants the hearts of the boys and girls, of the adults, of the seniors here. And he wants us to open our hearts to him and give ourselves to him. There's a wonderful commandment then. It's a, we could say the Tenth Commandment is the climax of God's law. He asks many things of us in the law, in his law. But the ultimate thing he asks of us is, is our hearts. So he doesn't just want us to sit here in church physically today. He wants our hearts today. He's interested in what we're thinking and longing for too. What we feel. Our inside is just as important to him as our outside. That's how much he loves you. He wants your heart too. Hence the 10th commandment. And in that commandment, he then first says where the desires of our hearts shouldn't be directed. Wrong desires. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his servant, his ox or donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And you can modernize that. His tractor, his car, his property etc. But here in this commandment, God uncovers our deepest desires, the desires of our hearts. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 7 verse 7, I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. In other words, if we didn't have the law, we wouldn't know anything about our desires at all. We wouldn't understand them. But because of God's law, our attention is drawn to our desires. Why do I do that? Why do I set my desires on the car of my, that my neighbor has? Why do I think about the vacation my neighbor enjoys? 
Why am I jealous of his or her career? Why does the picture of that person's house keep showing up in my head? Why, why do I envy that relationship? Well, because the grass always looks greener on the other side, as they say. Envy, congregation, envy. And then I feel I'm missing out on something. I'm not satisfied with what I have. I'm kind of done with my car, and if I see the sleek new model my neighbor has with the latest gadgets and the stronger engine and the better fuel mileage and so on, I notice the, also the layout of my neighbor's house, and then my own house looks kind of dingy and, and old and run down in comparison. I don't see the positive things about my own house anymore. I notice that that other girl gets all the attention from the guys at school and that makes me jealous of her. She's such a flirt. I don't like her at all and I'm going to show it. Why, why do we feel that way? Why do you do that? Because you feel you're missing out on something. You're not happy with what you have anymore, with the impression you make to others. And you forget to consider what you do have. You become so used to what you do have and what you are. You have what you need, food, shelter, clothing, and so on. But that's all old hat, so, so monotonous. You don't see how good you have it anymore after a time. And then, and then you hardly give thanks for it anymore. And so a lot of what others have and enjoy seems to be so much nicer more attractive, more desirable, and then you could become envious, jealous, covetous. Why don't I have that? What's wrong with that? The person you're jealous about often doesn't even know you feel that way. They most likely don't even care that you're jealous of their car or house or looks or so. And if they did realize that you're jealous of those things, it might even make them more proud to know that others envy what they have and what they are. Jealousy of others itself is an invisible feeling. There's no visible deeds as yet, maybe. It's just a feeling yet. And still God forbids it. He forbids that jealousy. And why? Well, because if you're so jealous of what others have and enjoy, that means you've forgotten how blessed you are yourself and what God has, has done for you and given you and how he has shown his goodness and grace and mercy to you. He wants to live in you with the blessings of his grace, but then you overlook him. You overlook him. If you really have God in your life, then everybody has reason to be jealous of you. And then you have no reason to be jealous of anybody else if God is in your life. How rich we are with him. He fills our lives with undeserved gifts. He gave you education, work, family, hobbies, friends. He gave you everlasting promises at your baptism. Sealed them to you. He fills your life. And therefore also wants to fill your heart. 
There's every reason for us all, every one of us, whatever we have to be contented with him, be contented with him. But you don't see that anymore when you're jealous. Then it's not enough. You desire what your neighbor has. Desire takes over your heart and it eventually can take over your life. I want what they have. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Godliness with contentment is great gain. But if you're jealous, envious, you're not going to experience that great gain. You're going to lose. You hurt yourself and you hurt God. He gave you what you needed. He wants to live in you with his spirit. But you don't see him anymore. You don't see that. You forgot to thank him for his goodness and grace. And that's why it's so good to give thanks, congregation. Thanksgiving heals your heart. It's Thanksgiving, giving thanks all the time, is, is medicine for, against jealousy and envy. That's why you, you need to give thanks every day. It reminds us we have every reason to be contented with God and give our heart, hearts to him. So much for wrong desires. Let's think about conflicting desires. The second point here that I want to make, brothers and sisters, have you noticed that God is at work in you? If you, if you have noticed God working in you, then you're a happy person, right? The way to a beautiful life, you realize, is open to you. A life with God. Like Jesus. His food was to do the will of his Father. And see, then, if you see him working now in you already, too, then you realize that's how it's going to be with, with you in the future, too, that your food is to do the will of your Father. Then we'll, we'll live a holy life. There'll be no wrong desires anymore. Wonderful in the future. Only wanting to do what God wants us to do. What a blessed life to look forward to. And what a joy to be on the way there. Sadly, we're not there yet. At perfection. No reason to be proud of ourselves as people of God. Because as it says in the Catechism, in this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of perfect obedience. The holiest. A small beginning. That's not nice to hear, is it? It's hard to believe, even. You don't want to be that way. But note the Apostle Paul. He was a servant of the Lord, full of the Spirit and full of zeal for the Lord. And look what he says about himself in Romans 7, the verses 18 and 19. He says there, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. He's talking about himself here. One of the holiest of men. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. 
That's how the apostle was. And congregation, that's how we all are, even the holiest here. Faith in the gospel of Christ means you're engaged in an intense battle, a battle within yourself, a war, the war of flesh versus spirit, sinful nature versus the spirit of God. And that battle doesn't always feel very nice. Paul is honest. At the end, near the end of, of Romans 7, he calls himself, Oh, wretched man that I am, a wretch. Who will deliver him from that situation? And you read there too then, the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes and delivers you when you leave this life. When you leave this life, then and only then does that battle between spirit and flesh, that conflict in ourselves, end. So the day of our death is actually the day of our full deliverance from sin, from fighting against sin. Unless Jesus comes back in glory first, because in paradise all sin will be banned too. But we're not there yet at that total elimination of all sin. And maybe you feel a bit shocked when you read that in Lord's Day 44, that even the holiest have just this small beginning of new obedience to God's commandments. We're all beginners, all of us. Tough to digest that, all beginners when it comes to living in holiness. But we have to be honest here. That's what the Bible says. And if we're honest with ourselves as believers, we experience that every day again too, right? Have any of us overcome the sin that lives in us to the point that it's no, no struggle for you anymore? No battle anymore? Do any of us here have reason to be proud of how far we've progressed in holiness? And have, do we have the right to feel above the others here as so much holier than thou? We know, we all know what's inside us, don't we? You're determined to be calm when you talk to that person who really, really rubs you the wrong way. But five minutes into the conversation, you have a hard time swallowing your dislike of him or her. And you already let that nasty comment slip. And then you're mad at yourself for that, disappointed in yourself. I just can't help myself. But even if you're not like that, if you're able to suppress your aversion to someone, you still feel that distaste inside yourself. Even if the person, other person doesn't even notice it, never notice it. And then you realize you still can't be satisfied with yourself. You couldn't stop yourself from feeling that way about the other person, about wanting to say something nasty at least. Even if you didn't say it, you wanted to. The law of God throws light not just on your actions end, but on what's in your heart. The law teaches you to dig deep and makes you conscious of your sins and sinfulness. The apostle writes Romans 7 verse 7 that the law uncovers the wrong desires that live in your heart. 
and you realize how deeply sin is ingrained in you. It confronts you with the reality of your nature. And the more you see it in yourself, the more you realize there's even more sin inside you than you thought. Because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. So depressing, you'd think, hey, to let the law throw that kind of light on your sins and sinful nature then. It, it, it just totally humbles you. It can't be good, can it, to hear the law every time again, especially also that 10th commandment then. God wants this in your heart, and you can't produce that. Nowadays you hear it's better to be stimulated to good rather than to be shown the bad all the time and admonished for that. The positive has to be emphasized, they say today. If you praise a child, they will be more and more encouraged to do good. Be positive. But what do we do here in church? We read the law, and the negative is emphasized. No matter what good you do, you still fall short. You're still only a beginner when it comes to loving God, to doing his commandments. And you have to hear that every time again. But that's the way it is according to scripture and confession. Don't forget that we're not told that it's no use even beginning to try though. No, the Bible shows that we can begin anew every time again. And that's the beauty here. A beginner is at least someone who can start brand new every time again. Every day, you can wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to make a new beginning. You can do that. Progress is even possible. As we confess in Lord's Day 44, second part, question and answer 114, nevertheless, with earnest purpose, we do begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. With earnest purpose, we do begin. In other words, we know we're not going to arrive even close to perfection in this life. But we can walk in that direction. We can move in that direction now already. Day by day, and that's a glorious thing in itself. And that's what prayer is about, to move in that direction. And that's what we're church for too, isn't it? To help each other move in the direction of that perfection. And that's the end of our dealing with the law in the catechism. And then we see too where we're headed, and that's the last point, to good desires. Good desires. Congregations, it's not nice to have to listen to the law of God every Sunday again, is it? Every Sunday, and then every year too, hear the explanation of the Ten Commandments of the Law, each commandment. Not nice, because the law shows us all our sins and the depth of our sinfulness. Nothing is left of us. And we don't come to church to hear that we're all complete failures, do we? 
That's not why we come to church, do we? To be humiliated every time again? And yet, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, verse 12, after talking about the law, exposing his sins, that the law is holy and just and good. Even if it exposes all his sins and sinfulness, he says that law is holy, just, good. And the longest psalm in the Bible, too, Psalm 119, in that psalm, the law is praised as holy and good. I love your law. So what's so good about the law, then? Well, congregation, the law is praised as good in the Bible because the, the law pushes us in the arms of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The law teaches us to be honest with ourselves, see how we really are, and then seek our salvation outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. As it did with the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, after considering the law and what it exposed in his heart and life, the Apostle cries out in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. By means of the law, the apostle and all of us come to see that Jesus Christ is our only hope and salvation. Because of our sinful nature, we're looking for it in ourselves, but the law tells us, don't look in yourself, look at Christ. Go to him, through him and him alone, the sinner is freed from his sins and his sinfulness. And then you see what the law does, right? The law rouses this new powerful desire in us. And that's the desire for Jesus Christ. For Christ and what he has done for poor sinners by his death and resurrection. And what he promises to do for, for us with his Holy Spirit. And then you seek him and nothing besides him. Through him, sinners are justified and renewed. And when you realize that through the law you desire Jesus, you covet his love, his grace, that becomes your desire, the desire of your life. Jesus Christ, to live for him. So the law actually says, you shall covet, you shall desire, you shall desire Jesus Christ, you shall covet his deliverance from sins, you shall crave the renewing work of his spirit in your heart and life. Congregation, let Christ be the, the great longing of your heart. Not what your neighbor has and what you don't have, but Jesus Christ. Let him be the longing, the desire of your hearts. The law wants to light the fire of that good desire in your hearts, you realize. The law shows we'll never be able to overcome our sins and sinfulness in this life. But the law does that in order that we realize that in Christ 
we can find everything we need. We have everything we need. With him, we're safe. With him, we can even move ahead step by step until we lead this life and we're fully delivered of that sinful nature. And if we see that, then we'll be able to give ourselves fully to him in holiness then too. He'll make sure that we arrive in glorious perfection, but we have to take up the battle here and now. He brings us, he brings into his rest those who desired that rest in this life already, who struggled to push ahead to that rest here already through listening to the law and setting their hearts on him and seeking him in prayer, which is the next part of the catechism. So that rest in Christ is in the future for us. But as long as it's in the future yet, we still have now the opportunity to grow in faith and in that desire for Christ. Whoever longs for Christ will always also long to become holy, will long for the renewal of his or her life. In fact, as the apostle writes in his letter to the Ephesians, in Christ, good works have been prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We only need to accept those good works from him more and more. And then things will change. A brother in the church changes more and more from somebody who can't control his temper into one who is more and more kind, gentle, after a very difficult time in their marriage, a husband and wife grow in understanding and love in the Lord. A sister learns to be able to truly forgive something she could never have done without the Spirit of Christ. See, the Spirit can let good fruit grow in the Lord's vineyard here among us in the church. And the more we see that fruit growing in ourselves and in others, the more fruit will want to grow. I want tomorrow to be better than today. I want to be better tomorrow than, than today. I desire that with all my heart. And see, that's the desire the Lord wants to work in our hearts by means of the law, the good desire. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, if you think about all this, you see how good and wonderful the law is too, right? How good it is that we, we listen to it here every Sunday morning again. Because the law teaches us to desire God's grace in Jesus Christ. It teaches us to thirst for salvation and rest and wisdom through Jesus it teaches us to covet his spirit. You desire to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and with all your strength. And then you, you wish to love your neighbor. Desire that. Also that neighbor who is so irritating to you. See how the law brings forth good desires in us. God's law brings us to good desires. It brings us to our knees before God so we pray for his grace in Christ and his Holy Spirit to work in our hearts.
so that we pray with Psalm 40, let your law be day and night within my heart and soul. Amen.